Welcome to Addressing Alaskans, where we feature community conversations around South Central Alaska. Join us on Alaska Public Media as we travel throughout our community and listen to local groups discuss what matters to them. Thanks for joining us today for Addressing Alaskans. Today's show features the Anchorage Economic Development Corporation's 2020 Economic Forecast. We'll also hear the results of the Anchorage Business Confidence Index Survey and hear from Senior Vice President of Hillcorp Alaska, David Wilkins. This was recorded at the Denina Center on January 29th. Here's AEDC President Bill Pop. Ladies and gentlemen, it's now time for me to turn to our economic forecast for the city of Anchorage for 2020. There's a lot we're going to cover today, so I'm going to jump right into it. First and foremost, we're going to talk about national and local population and demographic trends. We're going to do a snapshot of Anchorage's job market in 2019 and get a sneak peek on the report that we're going to be issuing next month on job postings in Anchorage. We're going to talk a little bit about what's on the minds of consumers and how business is feeling about our local economy in the future. And then we're going to dive into the hard numbers of jobs. So with that, let's get going. First and foremost, we're going to talk about population and demographic. This is an demographics. This is an issue that is starting to become of more concern and interest to our organization in its effects on our ability to come out of the recession as well as grow our economy in the coming decade. So I want to start with a generational snapshot. This is a graphic, and, and I know it's a little fine print, but this represents yearly population growth in each of the major generations. Red is the baby boom generation, and you can see in a fairly compact period of time a huge amount of population growth from that generation. Gen X, a little bit smaller. Then we get into the millennial generation, and while it is a big cohort, it is spread out over a longer period of time, and you can see that peak in the middle of that yellow bar Everything to the right is the elder millennial generation, and everything to the left is the younger millennial generation. Um, there's a little inside baseball joke on that, but you know, it's elders and youngers in the millennial, never mind. Um, generation Z is out there in the blue. This is our up and coming generation that is just now starting to enter the workplace in their early 20s. So why am I talking about this? Why is this important? because we are starting to see significant issues with the growth of labor force nationwide. From Bain & Company, I found this graphic that I think does the best job of representing it. This represents going all the way back to the 50s, the size of annual growth of the US labor force on a yearly basis. So back in the 50s, it was 1.1% a year was the average. In the 70s, when the baby boom generation hit the marketplace in full force, it was 2.6%. But then look what happens in the following decades. The decade that we just exited the 10s, the 2010s, we had 0.7% labor force growth a year in a booming economy for the most part during that decade. Now look forward in the box in red. The 2030s is projected, and these are hard numbers. This is not some wag or guess. This is based on solid birth and death rates. We are looking at a 0.4% growth of the labor force nationally on an annualized basis in an economy that is dramatically larger than it was in the 1970s. This is a significant issue. Business is paying attention to this. Business is, quite frankly, this is their number one issue for the coming decade, is where are we going to get the people to fill the jobs that we're going to be creating to grow our businesses? It's a big deal. And this leads us to what's going on nationally right now that the economic development world is labeled the talent wars. Communities across the United States are competing with communities across the United States to attract and retain workforce. Because from a top three priority issues, 
for business. This didn't used to be on the radar, but now it is. Number three is looking for communities that are attracting and retaining available pools of labor. And if you don't have that kind of policy and strategy in place as a community, you are not on the radar for national business for the coming decade for investment. Because having to transport a workforce into an area to do business is the most expensive option you could possibly expect to have for making that investment. And business is going to be looking for places where they get a better initial opportunity for a return on their investment. So when we look at these numbers, and we start to look at what's going on in the minds of business and workforce, here's where it really hits the road. Workforce is moving to communities that meets their expectation for quality of life. Welcoming communities, good schools, good arts, good outdoor environment, welcoming communities, diverse communities. These are the priorities of the younger generations. As baby boomers, we didn't have those priorities. We were just more interested in the job to take care of our family. It is a change in attitude that we need to adapt to as a community to compete for the workforce that we're going to need to grow Anchorage in Alaska in the coming decade. And business is paying attention to that, as I mentioned before. They are looking for communities that are going to be ready pools of labor to make investments in. So what does that do for us in terms of Anchorage and what AEDC is trying to, ref uh, trying to use as a strategy? to present to outside businesses as to what we are trying to do, it is our live, work, play strategy. And our board chair, Lynn Rust Henderson, brought it up in the three-pronged plan that we are working on. Those three prongs, focusing on downtown, the UMED district, and the Chester Creek Greenbelt from the mountains to the sea as areas we want to focus our attention on to generate revitalization, new investments, expanded higher quality of life elements, that will make these key assets for us to attract workforce and to retain the workforce that we grow locally, organically, literally. Uh, so what we're talking about here is a strategy that is gonna be critical to our next 10 years of efforts at AEDC strategically to keep us on the radar screen of businesses nationally. So now let's start talking about some of the basic numbers. We're gonna to touch on population again later and I'll show you some of, the some of the recent trends that we're concerned about, but right now let's get into some of the intermediate steps. Housing um, is part of our monthly employment report, which is sponsored by AES, Alaska Executive Search and First National Bank. We issue those 10 times a year. And this is an important metric that we issue in that report that tells us how our housing market is doing. Our thanks to our good friends at MLS for allowing us to use their data. We're looking here at the uh, annualized number of units sold in single family housing on an annual basis. We had a pretty good year last year, 2,700 units sold. So that's not the sign of a market that's in kind of any major distress in terms of crashing prices, lack of sales, discounting in a significant way. When we look at the average sale price, that's another indicator of the fact that we are still in a fairly healthy housing market with a price that was near the record high that was just seen in 2018 as an average sale price. The reason for this is not because we've got a lot of competition in terms of growth in our, in our uh, demand for housing, what we have is a lack of construction. We have not been seeing a lot of single-family housing being built in Anchorage. And honestly, that trend is slowing down in the valley, too, with the latest data for 2018 showing that the number of completed housing units in the valley dropped by 25%. So we're seeing a general slowdown in construction on housing, which in a way is a silver lining to the recession that we are dealing with in the fact that at least we are not overbuilt and don't have a housing bubble that's going to crash prices and crash the number of units being sold. So now let's talk about 2019 jobs, again, sponsored by AES and First National Bank. 
So here we are. This is how we ended the year. These are the preliminary numbers. This number is going to be revised again, and I'll report on it at our August luncheon. Probably will go up a little bit more, probably more four or 500 jobs down once we get the hard numbers for the second half of the year. But the preliminary estimates down 300 jobs. So this reflects year five of the recession. The recession continued for another year, down 0.2%, and we saw a 5.1% average unemployment rate, which is actually pretty good on the face of it. But we'll dig into that number here in a moment. So who was up last year? Construction and professional business services benefited from some increased commercial construction here in Anchorage, earthquake recovery, uh, repair work, and redesign, as well as some expanding work from the Alaska North Slope oil fields, with oil industry making major investments that are ongoing as we speak. Uh, leisure and hospitality, well, I don't need to cover that one anymore. You saw what a banner year we had, thanks to our good friends at Visit Anchorage. And then oil and gas did see a bump up last year in the headquarter jobs here in Anchorage of about 100. We'll talk about that more in a moment. And then manufacturing saw a slight uptick in that very small part of our economy, only about 1,900 jobs overall. So when we look at who was flat and in a recession, flat is good. You're not losing ground. Admittedly, you're not gaining ground, but at least you're not going backwards. Wholesale trade and federal government remained flat in the 2019 year. Here's the list of who was down, and retail led the way. Retail is seeing a lot of damage from the national Amazon effect, where for every two bricks and mortar stores that are opening nationwide, three are closing. This is where online shopping now accounts for 11% of all retail, retail sales. And yes, we lost Nordstrom's. And yes, we lost uh, Pier 1 uh, imports in two locations. And yes, we lost Bed Bath & Beyond. And it's been a tough run for retail for the last few years, and we'll talk about the outlook here in a minute. Information is down mainly due to cuts in the media sector um, in terms of downsizing in both uh, broadcast and print media. And then state government and local government were both down. State was down mainly due to cuts at the university, due to the budget cuts we saw last year. And local government was down due mainly to declining enrollment numbers at the Anchorage School District, and we saw some staffing cuts there. Healthcare was down for the first time in 15 years. That's a uh, little bit disturbing. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. Transportation and warehousing, every year it's up 100, every year it's down 100. It just pretty much tracks in the same range, which you'll see in a minute. And financial activities continues its long-term trend of down 100 jobs for the last, each year for the last eight years. So let's talk about those jobs. Let's talk about job demand. We've got this great new report called Real-Time Jobs Intelligence, where we've got this tool that scrapes employer websites and third-party websites for job postings and accumulates that data, cleans it up to get rid of duplicates, and gives us a real sense of the number of distinct individual jobs that are being posted every year and gives us a lot of data about who the employers are that are posting jobs and what the skill sets are that they're looking for and what are the demand jobs. This is an advanced look at our annual report. We do it quarterly to give you the most recent quarter's data. And then this time of year, we do the annual report for the entire previous year. This is generously sponsored by our good friends at KeyBank. And let's dive into the numbers. So last year online, there was 48,600 round number jobs, distinct individual jobs, posted in Anchorage and the Matsu. Pretty big number. That's everything from mom and pops to big corporations. Uh, in number, over 6,400, uh, excuse me, 6,500 employers posting positions, 750 plus different occupations being sought to be filled, 
and over 450 different certifications being sought, skill sets in that workforce. Everything from registered nurse and CPR to a commercial driver's license, any number of other distinct certifications. Here's the top 10 jobs. Number one was retail. Hey, wait a minute. It didn't retail lead the way in job losses last year? Why is it the number one position being posted in our community? That's an interesting question. We'll dig into that in, uh, more in a minute. Uh, registered nurses has consistently been the number two position being sought to be filled in Anchorage. And we'll talk about that more in a moment. And then you can see the other service sector related jobs that round out the top 10. Our reports go into much more detail, but we just only have a brief period of time, which is why we're only able to give you the top 10. Here is the top 10 employers. Now this is an interesting mix of healthcare, government, uh, retail, tourism, all kind of mixed in there. You can pick them out and you can see the different uh, levels of the position that they hold. But these are, this is a pretty robust mix of different lines of industry that are out there posting jobs in the top 10. So how did 2019 compare to 2018? Overall postings were up one and a half percent. And when you're talking 48 plus thousand jobs, that's a pretty big number. So up 1.5%. Uh, job postings for retail salespersons increased nearly 8%. Wait a minute, they're losing jobs. Why are they posting so many positions? Same thing for registered nurses. We're definitely not keeping up for, with demand on that particular sector with an 11% increase in the number of job postings. And then these other sectors just give you a sense of what's going on out there in terms of increasing advertising for people to fill jobs. What we're hearing from a number of businesses is that they are having a hard time finding qualified candidates to fill jobs, and I'm hearing this from employers in practically every sector. I speculate, and this is pure speculation, that if we even had half, or let's, let's even take it down a little bit, if we had one-fourth of the additional job candidates needed to fill jobs, we would have been in positive territory last year in terms of total jobs created. Think about that. This is a headwind for us in terms of qualified workforce availability in Anchorage. So let's look at the labor force statistics. This is another place where we get a bit of the picture. So what is labor force? It's a pretty simple thing. In your community, the community of Anchorage, the number of Anchorage citizens who have a job added to the number of Anchorage citizens who are looking for a job but can't find one, add those two numbers together, that's your labor force. So this is a dynamic number, it moves a lot, but in the last decade, the unemployed sector of labor force has averaged between seven and 9,000 people a year. Seven and 9,000. Here recently, it has dropped below 7,000 at various points in 2019. That's a little unprecedented. That's why you're getting this low unemployment number. Our labor force is shrinking. You can see where we hit our recent peak in 2010, 2011, at right around 158,000 people in our labor force. That's a big number for our city. We haven't seen that historically. And yet, when we hit the beginning of the recession, we saw what is not an unexpected decline, going down about 2,000 or so per year for four years. But in the fifth year, that rate of decline accelerated significantly to over 3,000 people no longer in our labor force. You're listening to Addressing Alaskans on Alaska Public Media. Today's show is the Anchorage Economic Development Corporation's 2020 Economic Forecast. Later in the hour, we'll hear from Senior Vice President of Hillcorp, Alaska, David Wilkins. We'll continue with AEDC President Bill Pop. In the last four months of last year, our labor force shrinkage rate doubled. 
from just over 2,000 to just over 4,000 people a month in terms of the average people available in our labor force. Right about the time the permanent fund came out. So were people retiring? Maybe. Were they giving up? You know, just not going to try anymore, can't find a job? Maybe. Or can't find a job, going to go to the lower 48? Could be, likely, possibly. But that's in the face of a year where we actually saw job postings going up. Hmm. Okay. So we'll come back to that in a moment. Let's talk about maybe, maybe people are losing faith in our economy. Maybe they're deciding that this place has no future. So let's look at the confidence numbers. Now, this is the Anchorage, uh, fourth quarter Anchorage Consumer Optimism Index. We began last year very, very optimistic. The index was up near 60 last year on a scale of 1 to 100, with anything over 50 being on the positive side. Now, this is put together for us by the Alaska Survey Research Group, designed by the Northern Economics team. And here's the number. We went up just a little bit. It's because of one of the major indicators going up substantially. We went up to 55, 55.5. That's our first positive quarter since the beginning of last year. We had a straight run of negative quarters. So what are the indicators that make it up? Well, local economic confidence in terms of the current situation went down slightly in this survey. And future expectations in this survey definitely went down a little bit. And future expectations is a measure of how the economy is going to do in the future. And when you look at the range of 45 to 55 of I'm not sure, being kind of the definition of what that is in that range, um, you know, this is telling us that people are a little concerned about what the future is holding. But the interesting thing is that personal financial confidence went up substantially to 65, and that's why our indicator went up overall. People are feeling good about being able to make their house payments or their rental payments. You know, keeping their car going, getting their kids into new clothes, going, being able to go out to eat, maybe buying a new house. So that's an interesting dichotomy. I'm feeling good about myself, but I'm really worried about the future. Hmm. So where's business in all of this? Let's look at the business confidence survey. We do this survey once a year. Every year in November, December, we do the survey work, and then we publish the results at this luncheon, generously sponsored by Primera Blue Cross Blue Shield, and put together for us from the beginning by McDowell Group. So here's this year's BCI, and it went down. It went down a couple of points on the overall metric. This is the history of the metric. At 55.4, it's not at rock bottom, which is what we saw at the depths of the recession, but it definitely is still um, you know, gone down. So when we look at the basic met uh, metrics that make up this number, are your uh, sales and your profits going to be up? Well, business said the same thing they said last year. Yeah, it's going to be OK, right around 55. Are you going to hire more people? Yeah, right around 56. Are you going to invest in capital expenditures? Yeah, around 56. What's your view of the future of the economy? It dropped 12 points to 45. That's what took the indicator down. You, the business community, are deeply concerned about the future compared to where you were a year ago. You were optimistic last year. You were at 57. Now you're at 45 on your view of the future. So does that have an effect? Well, you're still hiring. You're still expecting to be profitable. You're still putting money into capital expenditures, but you're deeply concerned about the future. So when we talk about the barriers to growth, we ask you this question, what do you think are the top 10 barriers to growth? Uh, here's the list. Number one again, which is where it's been for the last five years, is the condition of the state economy. But then when we look at the next uh, five indicators, 
Four of them are labor-related. The cost of health insurance dropped a position, but the other four are availability of technical workforce, available of semi-skilled workforce, the cost of labor, and the quality of entry-level workforce are all of significant concern to you, the business community. Well, wait a minute, we had a down year last year. Why are we worried about labor force? Hmm, it's because you're having a hard time hiring. You're having a hard time finding qualified workforce. And it's become a much bigger issue for you this year than it was last year, which is interesting. So we've got a shrinking labor force with a rate of shrinkage that's increasing, and it's reflected in these responses. So when we look at, you know, how do we solve that number one issue, which I think is somewhat at the root of many of the problems that we have in confidence in the future, how do we solve the state's long-term fiscal stability? We gave you these different options that were all brought up in the media, brought up by different business people, brought up by policymakers, and asked you to tell us what you thought about them. Well, last year, uh, the number one issue uh, you thought for solving the state's fiscal crisis was reductions to spending. That dropped three spots. Now it's about reducing the permanent fund dividend. That's your number one choice of solution. Number two is a statewide sales tax. Number three is reductions to state spending. And then you've got a broad-based statewide tax of some kind and then a statewide income tax coming in a distant fourth and fifth. And then you have zero appetite to speak of for eliminating the permanent fund dividend. You are not in support of that based on the survey report that we have. So now let's go into the jobs numbers and try and round out this picture a little bit. This is our annual forecast of jobs for the coming year. This is our 2020 forecast. This is generously sponsored by our good friends and partners at North Rim Bank. And again, compiled by our long-term partners at the McDowell Group. So here's the population numbers. We have seen a loss of 9,000 people since our recent population record peak in 2013 and we are projecting a loss of another 1,000 people from our city in the coming year. That'll take our total losses to just shy of 3.5% since 2013, and will amount to about 10,000 people. So we get into the underlying numbers, and we do have, we've had a change where births are no longer helping us out. You know, you guys haven't been as fruitful the last couple of years. Get busy, would you? We need more future uh, workers. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to get into your personal life quite that much. Um, but deaths have now kind of come up a little bit too. We do have an aging population. We've had some in-migration from elsewhere in Alaska, positive in-migration, more people moving to here from elsewhere in Alaska than moving from here to elsewhere in Alaska. The rate of exchange with the Matsu borough has gone by, down by about half, where we, were used, where we used to have about 2,000 plus a year moving to the Matsu. The latest data tells us that that's down around 1,000 now. But the big one that we're paying attention to, while it's not at record levels, because we've seen bigger numbers than this in the history, but they were being offset by births and other things going on, um, is the net loss we are seeing to outside of Alaska from Anchorage. The number of people leaving Anchorage to go somewhere else in the world outside of Alaska, likely mainly to the lower 48, versus those coming from elsewhere in the world to Anchorage. We have lost an average of 4,000 people a year net in those numbers for a five-year period for a loss through 2018 of about 20,000 people from our community to outside of Alaska. That's a loss of talent. That's a loss of future opportunity. 
That's a loss of retirees. It's a mix of population. We've got population data from the state that shows us those trends and all the age demographics. And it pretty much touches every single age demographic as a net loss to outside of Alaska, except for, I believe it's the 24 to 26 age demographic. And that's flat. So this is, this is a trend that we need to start paying more attention to. How do we get people to stay here? How do we get more people to move here? What is it that we're missing? Because we've got jobs. I think we've kind of demonstrated that. We've got an intention to hire, an intention to invest, but if you don't have people to fill the jobs that you, the business community, are creating, they're not jobs. They're just good intentions. So these are some of the things that we've got to work on. Speaking of which, the census is upon us. And as a commissioner on the Anchorage Full Count Census Commission, I am here to tell you that you, every one of you in this room, need to help us get a full count for the census because it is vital to the future of our economy. Over $3 billion a year is spent in the Alaska economy by the federal government based on the latest census data. If we get a short count where we don't get everybody in, we are going to exacerbate what is already a slight decline in our population. And that's gonna hurt us on that number. You know, it is also important for some of the programmatic elements of federal spending in our state, in terms of SBA spending, in terms of Medicaid spending, in terms of all these different things that if we don't have the federal government helping us with them, we're on our own. And that is an impact to our economy and the quality of life in our communities. So folks, every one of you have a job today. Go back to your office, tell all of your coworkers, all of your staff about the fact that they need to be part of the census. Go to tell your family and your friends and your neighbors that you all need to be part of the census. Everybody needs to be counted. And if you've got fears or concerns about how the data is gonna be used, go to alaskacounts.org and you will find the answers that will tell you that your privacy will not be violated on an individual level. We need your help in getting this full count. Please participate in the census. All right, now we're gonna talk about a very important industry to Anchorage, but also to Alaska, and that's the Anchorage oil and gas sector. So after a nice little bump last year of about 100 new headquarter jobs here in Anchorage, we are seeing some signs that are telling us that we are gonna see a loss this year of about 200 jobs. And I'll be real upfront with you, it has to do with the BP sale to Hillcorp, but it is a transient. It is just the nature of these kinds of large transactions where workforces are changing companies some of the workforce is going to go elsewhere in the world with BP. Some of the workforce is being stolen by other companies, out, excuse me, recruited by other companies outside of Alaska. And some of the workforce is deciding that I'm done. I've worked long and hard enough and I'm retiring. So we believe that there's gonna be this brief transitory period in 2020 in which we're gonna see a slight decline in the Anchorage workforce for the oil and gas sector. And we believe that it will come back to positive growth in 2021. So we want to be upfront with you on this. Now, note that statewide, we're up at about 10,000 jobs in oil and gas. That's still down a third from where we were at the peak. Got a long way to go to get to those kinds of numbers. And so that's, you know, that's, that's a challenge, um, given that you know, we have you know, significant competition in the world for investment in the oil patch. It is a leaner, meaner business model for global oil markets and global investment in the oil markets. It's not the good old days. You know, when we had that nice little dust up with Iran a few weeks ago, we had a three-day period where oil went up four bucks. You know, there were missiles being shot at each other. 
10 years ago, that would have been good for about a year, year and a half worth of, uh, of uh, fear premium in the prices. Four days. And uh, earlier this week on Monday, uh, North Slope crude hit $60 and change. It's already down about $12 from where it peaked just three weeks ago. It's not the same world. And we've got to start to come grips with that, come to grips with that, and not make foolish policy decisions like the one that we are now facing with this ballot initiative that is going to be on the ballot this fall, either August or November, and it is going to raise oil and gas price or taxes by about 300%. That will be devastating to what is a returning effort of investment in our state. We are really seeing significant intent, a significant deployment of capital to lay the groundwork that in five to seven years, we are gonna have a return of growth in oil production on an annual basis instead of the current projection of dropping down to almost 434,000 barrels from the current 490. That's the wrong direction to go if you want oil to be a big contributor to solving our state's fiscal crisis. I am a co-chair on a, group, a large group, a diverse group, in the One Alaska effort to oppose this initiative. And as Lynn mentioned, I have the full support of the board of directors of AEDC on this. We represent different political points of view, different age demographics. We are together in opposing this because this is bad policy. This is a small group of individuals who think they know the solution and it is not getting the robust review that we would otherwise get if we were doing this through the legislative process with hearings, with amendments, with experts, with debate, with headlines, with all the issues that would go with any kind of proposed change like this. And it is bad policy. I urge you all to help us fight this. I urge you all to get fired up if you believe that this is the wrong way to go because this one's gonna be a tough discussion because the slogan of the folks proposing this is if you do this, you get a bigger permanent fund dividend. Hmm, okay. So folks, join us with One Alaska. We need to oppose this. Anchorage Healthcare Employment, we think will return to growth next year, but it's basically gonna be making up the little bit of ground that it's lost last year, and we'll see a slight increase. You've noticed the long-term growth that's added almost 6,000 jobs since 2008 and made this our number two employment sector in Anchorage, second only to government in total jobs, is now plateaued. We think anecdotally, I can't prove this, but this is what we hear from a lot of different healthcare sector players, is that the question marks surrounding Medicaid funding at the state level, the attempts to veto it and but, or but, um, um, do a uh, set of vetoes and cuts to it last year that ultimately didn't work, but also now the discussion at the federal level of block grants uh, being put in place of what is currently being offered has created a lot of question marks in the healthcare community about making new investments in our community because we don't know how many customers we're gonna be serving with means to be able to pay for those services. So this is an important issue. We're gonna to need to be watching this one closely because healthcare is an incredibly important player in our economy. Transportation employment's gonna be up a couple of hundred. This is not anything you know, big, it's not anything small. It's just the history of this sector. This is uh, airport, this is Port of Alaska, this is ground transportation in terms of trucking and railroad. This is all of those elements combined making up this sector. And we've got good robust activity in Anchorage International Airport. We've got increased tonnage numbers at the Port of Alaska, which is another sign of economic recovery. A lot of that is due to oil and gas investment. 
We've got some good things going on in our trucking sector and the railroad is seeing some really solid numbers. So this sector, again, good um, you know, paying jobs that are important to our economy, up a couple of hundred for next year. Professional and business services, tracking right along with the oil and gas industry as well as some increases that we've been seeing in the construction sector, mainly due to earthquake recovery last, or not mainly due, but partially due to earthquake recovery last year, but also an increased uh, level of commercial investment, which reflects what we've been seeing in our business confidence survey. And we think that investment is going to continue into the coming years and is gonna help the professional and business services sector add a couple hundred more jobs if they can find the candidates to fill those jobs. Construction, same story, not up as much as it was last year. It's gonna be up only about 100, maybe it could be better. It's, it's just, we're trying to be a little conservative. We try not to be overly optimistic at AEDC. But up 100, and that's gonna be a positive number for us, but we are hearing a lot of complaints from contractors about being able to find qualified work or, uh, workers to swing the hammer, uh, use the drill, use the power equipment, drive the bobcat, those kinds of uh, jobs. Um, they wanna fill them, they wanna take on more business, but there have been some complaints that we've been hearing about lack of workforce. Give you an example of one of the projects that may be happening in the coming year in terms of getting over the finish line to start construction. This is the proposed Indigo Hotel project in the 6th Avenue garage, a true public-private partnership between the public sector and the municipality of Anchorage through the Anchorage Community Development Authority. This one's been a tough go to get it to this point, but boy, it's sure looking exciting. If they can get over the last few hurdles, we will hopefully see this project begin construction work later this year. It's basically being built onto the front of the 6th Avenue garage. And it's a really cool project. There's more to be found about that out in the lobby in the exhibition hall if you want to look at more of the details. Leisure and hospitality, what can I say? Visit Anchorage, way to go guys, way to go tourism. You guys have been booming right along, up a couple of hundred jobs. I won't, I won't flog this one to death, but you know this is gonna be another bright spot for us in 2020, up 200 jobs. Anchorage Retail, here's some of the bad news. Okay, I've already talked about the losses that we've already seen. We think it's gonna continue into the coming year with another 300 jobs lost. We are tracking national retailers more closely now, and we know of a few that are doing business in Anchorage that are having financial troubles on a national level. I'm not gonna name names because I hate starting rumors. But uh, we do believe that we may see one or two other players in Anchorage potentially be impacted by this, this change that is being brought about by online shopping. So we'll need to watch that. Oh, by the way, one other rumor I need to dispel. I've been hearing this one a lot recently. I don't want to deal with it anymore. So I went over and I talked to the management. Simon & Seifert's is not closing. Please stop it. Um, Simon & Seifert's parent company, Restaurants Unlimited, went through bankruptcy, a strategy to sell the company it has been sold to Lowry's, which is an amazing company who is committed to new investments in upgrading Simon & Seifert's. They are committed to this restaurant. This anchor institution of our restaurant industry in Anchorage is going nowhere. So please stop that rumor if you hear it from anybody else. It is done. It's not fair to the workers at that restaurant. Financial sector, we continue to see the effects of online banking, online insurance purchases, online mortgages. Um, and we're seeing less and less demand for bricks and mortar jobs in this sector as it goes more and more online. It's been a low steady decline of about 100 year, jobs a year. Again, next year, probably gonna lose about 100. Okay, I'm running a little long here, so I gotta wrap this up. Government, down by 200. Um, we are going to see this mainly in state and local jobs. We think it's gonna be mainly the university and potentially the school district if enrollment numbers come in a little bit lower again this coming year. So we're watching those very carefully. I'm not trying to pick on those educational institutions. 
I just have to talk about what the trends have been and where they may be headed. They are vital to our future. We need to figure out ways to support them better. We need to figure out ways to be more positive about our educational institutions that are so critical to our ability to attract and retain and grow our own local workforce. There is a role for both of those institutions that are linchpins to the future of our economy. And we need to start paying more attention as to how we can bring them into a brighter future. So here it is, the forecast for the year. Up 100 jobs. I don't know if you're applauding the school system or if you're applauding the 100 jobs. I would applaud the 100 jobs because if, I'm, if, if we're right, this will be the end of the recession. We tried to forecast this last year. A certain state fiscal crisis kind of blew us up on that one. Um, I still believe we are at the bottom of the recession. I see a number of businesses who believe that also and are starting to invest. If you are not thinking about the future in terms of growth and starting to plan your investments accordingly, you are missing an opportunity because this is when prices are going to be their lowest. This is when it's going to be easier to acquire land, get cheaper rents, get cheaper construction bids, but it's not going to last forever if we're right in terms of the turn of the corner. But up 100 jobs, hopefully, uh, it's, it's a tough thing to project. This, is, this was a really difficult forecast for us this year. Our friends at the McDowell Group and my team had numerous discussions about all the influences on what could make things better or worse. And it is a hot mess. It is a hot mess. So when we look at the summary, here's what I would leave you with. There's four things I wanna, I wanna bring up to your attention. We can't afford to sit on the sidelines anymore. If you think it's somebody else's problem to solve, then you are contributing to the problem. We gotta start getting involved. We gotta get off the sidelines. We gotta start finding those things that we can be a positive contributor towards in policy making, in supporting our schools, in getting out there and doing what needs to be done to make our neighborhoods better and safer. We need to start getting off the sidelines and quit expecting somebody else to solve our problems for us if that's your mindset. We've got mixed signs on the employment and data picture, and it is not outside the realm of, of plausibility that we could fall back into recession if certain things were to happen. If we don't start getting a solution to this fiscal crisis situation, we continue to ride on the razor's edge. So you gotta talk to your legislators, folks. You gotta talk to policymakers, and you gotta start helping us more directly to get this situation solved. Um, attraction and retention of workforce and retirees is critical for our future. Folks, here's a fun factoid. The value of all households in the United States, all of them, from the meanest little hovel to the most valuable mansion in our country, you put them all together into one number, $107 trillion. Baby boomers own 54% of that. 10,000 of us a day, I joined this club last year, 10,000 of us a day are turning 60 every day between now and 2030. We are about to witness the greatest transfer of wealth from one generation to others in the history of humankind. It's a big opportunity. The millennial generation and Gen Z and maybe a few of the Gen Xers are going to benefit from this transfer of wealth. But we don't get very much benefit from that if those baby boomers leave our state. What are we doing to keep them here? What are we doing to recognize that a lot of baby boomers are thinking about, you know what, there's gonna come a point where I can't drive a car anymore. How am I gonna get to the grocery store? 
How am I going to go have coffee with my friends? How am I going to get out and about and enjoy life still? Or am I going to be stuck in my house because I can't drive anywhere? Unless, gosh, would there be a neighborhood where I could live and walk all in that neighborhood because it's mixed use, because it is designed for seniors? These are some of the things that we need to be thinking about, because otherwise, baby boomers are going to leave the state in bigger numbers than they, than they might otherwise do. We're going to lose them to grandkids in the lower 48. We're going to lose them to that dream home in, I don't know, the Florida Keys, you know, that they've always dreamed about for the last 40 years. I did run into one business person the other day who has been here for 25 years, and it was finally time to, you know, time, time to retire. And I said, great, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going back home to Minnesota. 25 years and this was never home. Hmm. We've got to start doing something about that. We've got to start talking to each other about those kinds of issues. So I would leave you with this last question. What are you doing to make our community a better place to live, work, and play? Ask yourself that question. What is your business doing? Many of you are doing a lot, but we need everybody's shoulder to the wheel. So we hope you'll join us in our efforts on our three-pronged plan. We hope you'll join us in our efforts to make Anchorage the best city in America to live, work, and play. And we hope you'll help us join in making a much better outlook for the city of Anchorage. Because if you are not betting on a bright future for the city of Anchorage, you are missing a bet. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for your attention. Our uh, reports have been posted to aedcweb.com. And uh, thank you for being here today to hear our presentation of where we think the economy is going in the next year. You're listening to Addressing Alaskans on Alaska Public Media. Today's show is the Anchorage Economic Development Corporation's 2020 Economic Forecast. We'll pick back up with AEDC President Bill Pop. Um, now it is time for us to introduce our keynote speaker of the day. Um, and I would like to again thank our keynote speaker sponsors, Alaska Airlines and GCI. Ladies and gentlemen, Dave Wilkins is the Senior Vice President of Alaska with over 30 years of experience with Hillcorp and the oil and gas industry. Mr. Wilkins joined Hillcorp's team in 2005. Previously, Dave was employed by Marathon Oil Company, another longtime Alaska company, uh, for 17 years in numerous engineering operations and management positions, both domestically in Texas, Oklahoma, and Wyoming, and internationally in Russia. Prior to Marathon, Mr. Wilkins worked for Dowell Schlumberger in Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Texas in several cementing and fracture stimulation program, uh, positions. Mr. Wilkins was born and raised in Findlay, Ohio, and holds a Bachelor of Science degree in Petroleum Engineering from West Virginia University. Dave and his lovely wife, Michelle, the better half, that's in the notes, um, and their three children live here in Anchorage and are proud to be Alaskans. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage to share his uh, words from Hillcorp Corporation, Senior Vice President of Hillcorp Alaska, Mr. David Wilkins. Thank you, Bill. Good luck, sir. Thank you, Bill. I'm honored, as I look around the room, I'm honored and I'm humbled and, and impressed with my fellow business leaders here in Anchorage. I'm impressed with the brain power, the experience, the resolve, the tenacity to solve issues in our economy no matter what the circumstances are. 
I look around the room and I see vendors, I see business partners, I see customers. Together, I am very, very honored to be here and thank you for inviting me. I also am proud to represent Hillcorp and then that table right over there. Um, proud to represent our story and what we can do here in Alaska and I believe in them. At Hillcorp, we're bullish, just like Bill and others have said, we're bullish on the future. Our best days are ahead of us. We can responsibly, safely produce our resources in this state, and we can grow. So who is Hillcorp? We are a private oil and gas company. We were founded nearly 30 or over 30 years ago. Uh, so we're not new. We are consistently ranked by our employees in Fortune Magazine in the 100 plus best places to work. We are one of the largest, if not the largest, private oil and gas EMP companies in the United States. We make 325,000 barrels of oil equivalent a day, net to Hillcorp. This year, our capital budget is over a billion dollars. We have 2,252 employees in this country, and 25% of them work here in Alaska. I put up here a graph that you may not be able to see very well, but if you looked at our 325,000 barrels of oil equivalent a day, how would we rank amongst major independents? And as you see on this graph, the green is Hillcorp. We are in between a company called Antero, which is mainly up in the northeast uh, U.S., and the Hess Company, the old Amarada Hess Company. Okay, with the acquisition of Prudhoe Bay, we will be pushing the 400,000 barrels a day mark. And that'll put us in the neighborhood of Noble and Marathon, my ex-company. So we are a, a, a company of scale. We operate in five distinct regions, including Alaska. We operate over 450,000 barrels of oil equivalent a day in five distinct regions throughout the United States, both oil and gas. We are a green company, I like to tell folks. We recycle, our business model is to buy mature oil fields, reinvest in them, and make them grow and do good things. We are a green company. I like to say we like to recycle old oil fields. A great example of how green we are is in south central Texas, in between Houston and Corpus Christi, there's a field called West Ranch Field. Okay? It, it was discovered in 1938. It had a peak oil rate of 52,000 barrels a day in 1970. We acquired it in 2007 as a marginal end-of-life field producer. It has over 700 wells drilled in its history. Okay, what did we do? We looked at it, we evaluated it, and we partnered with a company, a larger company, NRG Energy. They operate electric plants, and one of their electric plants just southwest of Houston is the WA Parish Power Plant. It's one of the largest coal-fired electric plants in this country. So we proposed to them, hey, let's capture the CO2 off of off of your flue-burning coal generation, let's capture it, liquefy it, and send it over to West Ranch Field so that we can increase oil production, okay? 
So we did that. We've invested $530 million. This project started in 2010, and we are now injecting 5,200 tons of CO2 a day that normally would be going into the atmosphere, or 1.6 million tons of CO2 a year. We are injecting it into an oil field, and over the next decades, we're going to get 60 million barrels of oil out of that field. Now, if that ain't green, tell me what is. Another great example is we have a, a midstream pipeline company in uh, the San Juan Basin. We bought 3,900 miles of pipeline from Williams Company in 2018. Okay, and we operate that safely, responsibly. And just like our mature oil fields, we invested and put new investment that hadn't been, th been in that system in decades. We lowered the line pressure by adding compression, and now we're making tens of millions of more a day of, of natural gas that's keeping people's homes warm in the United States. And we've added over 100 BCF of reserves to that by reworking it and putting life into that otherwise would be abandoned. In Louisiana, we are the number one oil producer in the state of Louisiana. We have acquired all the big assets when the when the, the majors left Louisiana and said, we're done, we took them, we reworked them, we are the number one oil producer in the state of Louisiana. But what have we also been doing? Is when we, we evaluate assets and when we see no more opportunity, we plug and abandon. So this past year, we have plugged and abandoned more than 70 wells in Louisiana, a total of five fields we have totally plugged and abandoned and got out of and restored and turned over back to the landowner. We've removed 100% removed, removed eight facilities. So we're doing it responsibly, safely. Now, here in Alaska, what have we done? We've been in Alaska for eight years. Our first entry was in the Cook Inlet. We have 545 employees right now here in Alaska, and I'm proud to say over 90% of them live here in the state of Alaska. Why? Because we find the Alaska worker to have a grit, a resolve, they care, and to do it the right way. That has been our experience. We've invested over $5 billion here in Alaska. We currently have a gross North Slope production of over 50,000 barrels of oil a day from Milne Point, Endicott, and North Star. We have a gross production out of the Cook Inlet of over 32,000 barrels of oil equivalent a day, okay? And I'd be remiss not to mention some of these people. The pictures you're seeing here, as the one on the top is Tyler. And if your home has been warm and your light's on here in this cold snap, one of the people you can thank is Tyler. He makes sure the gas flows from the Cook Inlet area and makes sure it makes to NSTAR and all the electric utilities in the area because we sell to them. And he's making sure that that gas flows. So if you see him, thank him for being warm at night. Bottom picture is Leonard. He lives on the Kenai Peninsula. And a couple of years ago, he was the rising star at Aoga's uh, Young Rising Star Award. But he's a safety professional to make sure that we do it safe. And he, he puts another so uh, set of eyes on everything and says, hey, wait a minute, time out. Stop what you're doing. Let's do it right. 
as far as our investment in the state, it's been fairly consistent. We did see a little dip there when the downturn happened. A couple of points about this. Uh, one, since we've been in the state, um, we have drilled lots and lots of wells, and we are currently drilling lots and lots of wells. We have three drilling rigs running. Last year, we had five drilling rigs running. Last year, we drilled 36 wells, okay? And what do drilling wells mean? That means more production, okay? The other thing I'll point out is the blue bar is the amount of money we spend fixing old pipelines and facilities. And you can see we haven't skimped on that since we've been here. We understand we operate old facilities. We understand, and this is how our company is set up, we understand what kind of condition they are. So we spend money to make sure that they can operate safely. And our spend in 2020 is going to be consistent around that $300 million mark, as it has been for many, many years. From our standpoint, steady as she goes, we are going to continue going up and to the right. Cook Inlet, I know it's been said, when we got here, there was a discussion of brownouts, and we were running out of gas, and everybody was going to have to get a generator. We drilled over 50 wells, okay, and stabilized the gas market in the Cook Inlet, and we continue to drill wells in the Cook Inlet and see decades worth of gas coming out of the Cook Inlet. We're going to drill seven wells this year because that's what we need to drill to make sure we can deliver the market. It's no, it, 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 it seems easy, but we got a great team that's on it. As far as harvest goes in Alaska, one of the big projects that I'm really, really proud of is we've been talking about, as an industry, we've been talking about the Drift River Terminal and the fact that we were hauling oil via tanker from the west side of the inlet over to the refinery. Been talking for years about, and, and oh, by the way, that terminal sat at the base of Redoubt Volcano. We said, not a good idea. We need to get out of that. So we spent over $100 million in the last two years, finished up, and in two years, we are now directly selling oil out of the Cook Inlet to the refinery in Niskiski and have permanently shut down the Drift River Terminal. The middle picture there, if you can see it, and it kind of looks like a basketball court, that is a clean tank over at the Drift River Terminal that has been in operation for over 50 years. We cleaned it, and now it is abandoned. So, I'm very proud of that project because we're doing it the right way here in Alaska. Innovation rig build. In 2017, we built a rig for $50 million because everything up on the slope is big. And we, we needed to be more nimble and move quicker, drill more wells, so we built a rig, the innovation rig. That rig has been active and currently sits at Moosepad along with the Doyon 14. Thank you, Doyon and is drilling wells at Moosepad and has been part of the reason that you have seen Moosepad or Milne Point production go from 17,000 when we got here and when we took over the asset in 2014 and it currently last week is making 34,000 barrels a day. Nearly have doubled Milne Point production in less than five years. And that's through drilling wells. We're not done there yet. I'm telling you, by the end of this year, we're going to cross 40,000, okay? We're headed back. That facility can handle 65,000 barrels of oil a day, and that's what we have on our mind. But it hasn't all been Moosepad. Moosepad's gone well, and we're going to be drilling lots of wells at Moosepad. We have partnered with the Department of Energy, the University of Alaska at Fairbanks, and other universities through the National uh, Laboratory uh, Technology Group 
And we installed last, or at the end of 2018, but through 2019, the first polymer flood on the North Slope. We've injected, we currently have five injection wells injecting polymer and five producing wells. And this is targeting heavy oil at Milne Point. We have injected 1.4 million pounds of polymer in these five wells and currently are producing 2,400 more barrels a day and that increase will keep happening, okay? And we see in between 50 and 350 million barrels of recoverable oil at Milne Point from polymer flood. That, that is exciting. So we are expanding polymer flood in 2020 to FPAD and to MoosePAD. And we see further expansion, including UGNU, which we drilled our first UGNU well, conventional UGNU well, in 2019, and it is producing conventionally. So I feel there's a new development chasing a billion barrel target at, at Milne Point. That's innovation, that's solving problems, that's reinvesting, that's the Alaska way. Moving on to Prudhoe Bay, and I know you probably all wanna know about Prudhoe Bay, we're still working through it, okay? We're still seeking to understand we're still learning from our partners. It's a world-class reservoir, and I'm excited about it, okay? There has been no other reservoir that I've seen in my 35-year career that's as good as this reservoir. It's exciting, but it is complex, and we are seeking to understand. Over the next few months, we hope to close in 2020, but over the next few months, we will be welcoming uh, our nearly 1,000 or 750 BP employees that we're hiring, okay? We made offers to 1,000 BPers, and 80% and of them accepted. Now, I know Bill's story says that Anchorage is going to take a hit in jobs. I got news for you. Over the next few months, we're going to post one to 200 more jobs to fill the gaps because the BP employees we're hiring isn't going to be all the jobs that we need. So we got to work through it. In all, we'll be tripling our workforce here in Alaska. We're working through the regulatory bodies, being open and honest to the regulatory bodies. It's the way we roll, answering all the questions, making sure that we assure everybody that we got this. And we will go work that process. So we, we expect it to close sometime in 2020. And keep in mind, this isn't the first time we've done an Alaskan acquisition. This will be our fourth major Alaskan acquisition. I think we know how to do this, okay? Carefully, responsibly, safely. I wanna leave you with, you know, and this is close, close to me, and I've, I've read some of the comments about Hillcorp and we don't have philanthropy program, and, and I wanna just emphatically plead with you and show you, we care, we live in this community. 90% of our employees live here. We are part of this community. We've got a culture of giving back. We wanna create a community of giver backers, okay? We believe that. Our, the cornerstone of our philanthropy program is just the way we roll, pushing responsibility down to the lowest level. We put in each employee's hands a giving program. 
We seed them with $2,500. And then every year, we said, if you put $2,000 in, we'll put $2,000 in. And then you give it away to qualifying 501c3. If we, if we believe that our employees can make oil and production, reduce costs, do things more efficiently, and make oil and gas production go up, then they're the people that should be in the community giving the money away. Okay, that, that is the cornerstone. So we give away a lot of money through our employees, and that will remain to be the cornerstone of our program. Keep in mind, we're going to be taking on, you know, we're going to triple in size employees, and that means we're going to be giving a lot of money in the community. To me, it cultivates giving back. To me, it cultivates, you know what, not only am I going to write a check, I'm going to get involved. I believe in these communities, right? Some of these pictures here, but that won't be all we do. And we are. You can see in these pictures, we plug into things where we can bring people and money. And one example I'll give you, that the picture in the upper right, there's eight individuals. Last weekend, eight individuals out of 100, some of them are sitting at that table over there, jumped into the ocean in Seward last week, okay? 7% of the total participants, and they raised $55,000 for cancer. A third. And I'm telling you, that wasn't a check from Hillcorp. They believed in that, they invested in that, and they made that happen. I'm proud of that. I'm proud to represent Hillcorp. I'm proud of things like that. Thank you very much. Our future looks bright, Bill Pop. Thanks for joining us today for Addressing Alaskans. You just heard the Anchorage Economic Development Corporation's 2020 economic forecast and from Hillcorp Alaska Senior Vice President David Wilkins. This program was recorded at the Denina Center on January 29th. If you missed part of this show or want to hear more like it, head to the Addressing Alaskans page on alaskapublic.org. For Alaska Public Media, I'm Ammon Swenson. Addressing Alaskans is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Theme music is by Patrick Lee. The views expressed are those of the hosts and participants and do not reflect KSKA or its underwriters. To let us know about an upcoming community event that you would like to hear on Addressing Alaskans, go to our website at alaskapublic.org and click on Contact Us at the bottom of the page. Life Informed, this is Alaska Public Media.